Welcome to the Lockdown Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by the co-hosts of the Lockdown Wizards podcast to talk about the main implication of the Bradley Beal trade for the New York Knicks. As I see it, will Kristaps Porzingis be next? Will he be a Nick? What would the trade look like? We'll talk about it right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for being Locked On Knicks, your first listen today. And every day, if you want to be an everydayer, then all you have to do is subscribe on YouTube at that notifications bell. So you never, ever miss an episode. Remember to like and comment because it helps us out a whole lot. And subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. But who's chilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster today. I'm joined by Ed Oliver and Brandon Scott, the fantastic hosts of the Locked on Wizards podcast. Um, as I mentioned earlier, to talk about everything Chris Tavis Porzingis. You get a really interesting perspective on his season, where he's effective offensively now, how it differs than when he was on the Knicks, and what he's like as a defender, and why he might even be underrated on that end of the floor. All that next on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by the fantastic duo over at Locked on Wizards, Ed Oliver, Brandon Scott. Uh, I appreciate you guys making some time. I, I know there was there's a little bit of little bit of news in the Wizards community over the weekend that you guys I mean, we, could, we could talk about it real quick. You you guys are telling me you're both you're both pretty happy that it's over, even even if you're not thrilled about the return for Bradley Beal. Yeah, um, very happy that he's off the books. Obviously, getting that supermax contract off the books is a major plus for this team because I you know we both feel like a rebuild is much needed and the two hundred two. But the return was very underwhelming. Um, just the fact that Bradley Bill had so much power over where he wanted to go, what we got in return. And, you know, looking at the return, I, you know, I feel like we could have got a lot more. But, you know, it is what it is. And kind of got to look forward to a rebuild. And, again, getting that money off the books is a big plus. Yeah, Ed, I'm, I'm curious how you think this potentially shifts the Wizards' perspective going forward because there's, there's a certain uh, former Nick – uh, once reviled in New York, but also once loved in New York, maybe to be loved in New York again. Chris Stapps Porzingis, who frankly was, I, I, I don't know if you guys would agree, but just look at the numbers, was fantastic for Washington a year ago. If KP decides to opt in, do you think this move off of Beal makes it a necessity that the Wizards move off of him in an effort to just be as bad as possible this year? Or, or do you think they're open to keeping KP for another year? Uh, I think this makes the the rebuild even more likely. I mean, it's it's going to be a rebuild anyway. But if if KP does opt in, I do see them trading him uh, mm. before the draft uh, to load up on more oh, picks wow. for sure. Yeah. Um, I just think the the Bradley Bill trade. Just you look at the offer that we got back in return. Of course, Bradley Bill controlled that with the no trade clause. There were better offers on the table from the Miami Heat. Uh, they were they were uh, they were uh, reportedly going to offer multiple first round picks, but we end up with Chris Paul, Landry Schmidt, and no. First round picks at all. We end up with multiple six, five to six second round picks. So that just shows the direction of the team that they're trying to rebuild. So I think everybody's on the table. Kuz is, is most likely going to be gone. Um, Porzingis is going to be gone. Everybody on the roster that is really over the age of 25 or 26 
I would say is gone or anybody that's not on a rookie contract most likely is going to be traded. We're just going to take on bad contracts. So this is going to be hopefully not a Sixers style trust the process uh, rebuild, but Porzingis definitely is going to be moved for uh, a first round pick. I, I hope we don't get uh, fleeced again and only end up with second round picks when we do trade uh, Chris Alex Porzingis. Yeah, well, we, we can talk we can talk about the Sam. Knicks fans are also hoping for a non-process style rebuild because they want to keep that that sweet, sweet Wizards first round pick that could convey in the next couple of years. But I guess, Brandon, on that note, I would think that that Wizards first round pick in terms of a Knicks-Washington trade would maybe lose a little bit of appeal to them now because you guys can, in, instead of operating from the perspective of, oh, it'd be nice to get that pick back because we can use it to add to the core of Beal, Kuz, and um, KP. Now it's like, hey, if we're going to suck the next three years anyways, like that pick doesn't necessarily have not a va- lot of value. We're certainly not in the business of trading first round picks right now. I was going to propose to you guys a potential deal if the Knicks want to go down this road, and we can, we can talk about if they should want to go down that road, but if they want to go down the Porzingis road of Mitchell Robinson and the Wizards getting their first round pick back, do you think that would still be appealing to Washington, or are you kind of in the same camp as Ed? You guys are just trying to get as many picks as humanly possible at this point. Um, I would think that would be appealing, but again, I'm with Ed. Um, I think that we're trying to get any kind of asset we can at this point, you know, um, picks uh spine contracts I, I do see within the next couple of years us getting a lot of bad contracts and getting picks is you know kind of thrown into the package with that but yeah you know this front office has proven that they know how to evaluate talent in the draft they know how to accumulate picks so i definitely think they're going <laughs> to we're going to trade everybody we're going to try to get you know sign and trade for coups you know try and get value for kp and you know look at the other players like denny avia considering he's on an expiring contract you know he is and monte moore's Lon right you know they're on contract deals so we have a lot of flexibility, you know, we could, uh, but right now we definitely looking to accumulate as many picks as we can. And, and Ed, I, I guess from your perspective, what do you think would be an appealing package coming back from the Knicks? Because New York has a lot of flexibility, right? They, they have, they have the Washington pick, they have the Milwaukee pick, they have the Pistons pick, they have the Dallas pick in a year. They own all of their picks going forward after this season. And they have some young talents, guys like Quinn Grimes. And I, I think Mitchell Robinson if he was not in the trade directly, he would have to be redirected to a third team because there's no world where the Knicks would keep him, Randall, and KP. But is there, from your perspective, an appealing package from the Knicks? Like, is there is there one young guy you'd say, all right, this would be a great get or, or just a whole bunch of picks for Chris Porzingis theoretically, or you don't really see a deal between the two teams? Well, the Wizards were reportedly interested in Emmanuel quickly uh, right before mm-hmm. the trade deadline uh, this past season. So that's a young prospect, uh, up-and-coming guy. Uh, that played well for you guys at the point. Kind of a combo guard, more of a scoring guard, but he had some big games, had what, 38 against Boston or went crazy yeah. a couple of games against the Celtics. So uh, he's an intriguing young prospect. If we can get him in a first-round pick um, or if we're really just salary-dumping guys uh, just to get our pick back, worst-case scenario would be taking on an Evan Fournier deal or something like a Derrick Rose deal uh, just to make the salaries match. But I, I do like quickly – uh, and then there was the rumor that came out a couple of weeks or last week that me and Brandon had a show on where Obi Toppin was involved mm. in a trade too. And I, I like, I'm, I'm intrigued by him too. He's a young athletic guy prospect um, still ha- has to work on his shot from the three point line, but he's super athletic. Just he's a lob threat runs the floor really well. So um, quickly is, is a guy that I'm really keeping my eye on out of all the young guys on your team. I do like Quentin Grimes too, but I, I like quickly uh, the most and RJ Barrett. I don't see you guys putting RJ Barrett in a deal, so I think quickly is probably the most realistic guy out of the out of your young core. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating debate because I, I do think there's a world where just from a financial perspective, the Knicks bring in KP and, and presumably like another season like this, KP is going to be looking at like 35 to 40 million in terms of annual salary going forward with the um, cap escalating. And there's a world where the Knicks are just like, hey, like we're going to have to move off of quickly anyways. Like, let's just do it directly in this deal. Personally, he is someone I would really not want the Knicks to part with. I would much prefer an Obi Toppin being this trade. I would much prefer for it to be like a picks heavy package. But I'm sure the Knicks are operating if they were to go after Chris Stapps Porzingis in a world where they still want a package, whether it's a Julius Randle or an RJ Barrett and some of these other guys for picks going forward. So there might have to be that balance between one of those young guys and a pick or two in that kind of trade. And, and I'm fascinated to see what his value is with only the one year left on his contract. But I, I also want to know from you guys, what type of player the Knicks would potentially be getting. So this, this was a stat is from our friend over at Knicks film school, Jonathan Macri, that just blew my mind. You, you guys essentially had a top five offense this season when Crest Stapps Porzingis was on the floor and a bottom five offense when he was off the floor. Um, Brandon, what, what made KP so transformative for Washington this season? All right, guys, we'll be back with Ed and Brandon in just a sec to continue talking about KP's offensive game, including how he could potentially fit in with what would all of a sudden be a deep starting lineup. But first, I wanted to tell you that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in everything everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. When we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Um, I've personally really benefited from therapy in my life because it, it really just genuinely helps you be a little bit more self-aware and, and you obviously have some problems in your life that you can't control. I found in my life, therapy helps you control what you can. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give better help a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime at no additional charge. You can find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockdownNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockdownNBA. Well, many things. I mean, as you know, he was healthy. <laughs> you know, and when he's healthy, he's proven. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, when he's healthy, he has proven that he can play at an all-star level. You know, it's, in my opinion, he was an all-star this year because he's just he's just that he's that modern-day big. You know, he can shoot from three. He can defend. He can put the ball on the floor. But, you know, the, the big difference between – the KP now and the KP when he was first drafted in New York is, you know, he was trying to do too much in New York. You know, he's learned how to utilize his body now. So I think that had a lot to do with him being healthy is not trying to do so much, you know, knowing the limitations of his body. Because look, you know, seven, you know, once you're seven foot, you know, the you're susceptible to injury. So he was very smart with his body. But wow, man, um, he just he was electrifying this year. He he was a quiet leader for this for this locker room. Because, you know, on one hand, you want to say that, you know, Bradley Bill should have been a leader. But really, you know, there was two people that really emerged as leaders in his locker room, which was Kyle Kuzma and Christopher Zingas. And he was kind of a quiet leader. Uh, he became a fan favorite very fast. So, you know, it, it, you know, it's not an easy, you know, thought losing KP because I've grown accustomed to loving KP. You know, he's been a fan favorite. And again, when he is healthy, he can play some basketball. So. Ed, what, what, what did you think about his game? Because in New York, I remember him, especially before, well, I guess there, there only was in New York before he tore the ACL, but he was just a monster athlete, right? Someone who could run the floor, you would throw lobs that you're like, all right, he has no business getting to that. And he would find a way to get there, had that handle, could go one-on-one. We really got to see that post-mellow. Um, obviously, like has it feels like four-point range, like where he can shoot from 35 feet and in. 
Was he still that type of guy in Washington? And, and I don't know how much you got to watch him earlier in his career, but wh- where do you think his game has really made a leap his, his year and a half in, in the Capitol? Um, just looking at his uh, three-point percentage, he shot 38% from yeah. the three-point line this year, and that was off of five attempts. Um, so he shot the three ball really well, 23 points a game, uh, eight boards a game as well. I had a 40-point game against the Timberwolves. He had multiple games where he hit at least two or three threes, really stretched the floor. In the first half, um, he, he led our team in first quarter points. I got to see where he ranked in first quarter points because in the first half, he there were some games in the first half where he would, he would have about 15 to 20 points. In the second mm-hmm. half, he would end up with having 25 points. Um, of course, the question with him is physicality and, and kind of just, you know, the physicality and the paint. So you kind of need another big around him that's kind of, you know, take on the physicality and more of the rebounding so he can kind of stay out there around the three-point line. So he still is that unicorn, the nickname that he got in New York. Uh, he's more of a three-point shooting big, but he does post up still, but he's still, you know, he's not going to back anybody down. Of course, we know who he is. He's more of a, a free-throw line, mid-post, knockdown threes, pick-and-pop kind of guy. The lobs weren't there. He wasn't much of a lob threat, but he did – he still finished really, really well around the rim, but the three-point shooting really was impressive. The shooting was impressive. Getting to the free-throw line was impressive as well. Um, just looking at some of the numbers – as well, um, free throws, he was he was 18th in the NBA for free throws with 354. Um, box plus minus was 19th. Uh, player efficiency rating, he he was 17th in the NBA as well. Um, and he, he's still a really impressive uh, shot blocker as well. He was 12th in blocks and 8th in uh, blocks per game with 1.5. And then another nerdy stat, of all players who average at least three post-ups per game during the regular season, uh, Chris has run, ranking most amongst those guys. He Points per, per possession, he was second with 1.18. Uh, field, uh, effective field goal rating was 58%. And, uh, he was second among bigs. Um, a free throw frequency, frequency he was he had, he had 23%, which was fourth, and he was the 90th percentile in efficiency, uh, trailing only, only Nikola Jokic. So that's how good he was uh, posting up. So the first half, he would get the ball. We would make it a point to give him the ball in the post, and then the second half, he would just disappear in game. So that's the big question mark that, that with uh, Chris Asperzingis. And then, of course, guarding guys, moving his feet. Um, but he had a great year. Like Brandon said, he, he there were there at times where he was an all-star level player um, and he was healthy. That was huge. The only the only reason why he missed a lot of games towards the end was because we were basically tanking uh, mm. when we knew we were not going to make playoffs. Yeah, the, the post-up stuff is is exciting for me because maybe I, I could look at the stats and, and, and it's possible I, I wasn't watching quite as closely back then. I'm totally misremembering it. But I don't think he had that kind of impact in the post just because he was, he was real thin when he was on the Knicks. And I know he made at a point of emphasis when he was in Dallas to put on weight. And some people thought that was the cause of the injuries, but maybe very similar to Mitchell Robinson, New York. He's, I, I don't know, Brandon, maybe you could speak on this. Like, like, has he kind of found that balance where, where he is toned, but maybe not too heavy and he's able to stay healthy, but like, like how did he make an impact in the post? Like, is that mostly like short turnarounds? Is that jump hooks? Is that like, just like catch and finish? Like what, what, what was he doing so well there? Well, again, um, getting to the point is, he listened to his body. Like I said, yeah. he's not pushing himself, trying to be that, you know, he got the name Unicorn because he was trying to do a little bit of everything. He, he you know, would try he, to dunk on two people at times. Like, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Which was cool. But yeah. But he, you know, he listened to his body, you know, looking at the post, you know, his, he, he knows how to utilize his size and his height. You know, he's not going to be able to back down on a lot of these bigger centers. So he utilizes, you know, turn around and, and shoot those jumpers. And this jumper was money. So, and he utilized, he, you know, used mismatches and he really found the right shot in the post so now he's he he knows what his role was 
and he knows how to utilize his size. And that's what makes him so successful because, you know, seven footers, you know, a lot of them just don't know how to utilize their size. You know, he knew how to use utilize mismatches. And again, that three point shot and the, and the ability to back down and turn on and hit that J was just money last year. Ed, what, what did you see from him as a passer? He's going going through his stats. That was the one thing that stood out to me. Had never averaged um, over two assists per game in his career. He was at three in his half season in Washington, just under three um, this full season in Washington. Uh, did, did you see a leap from him there or, or anything that stood out to you in that respect? Yeah, he's a solid passer. He got a couple of double teams. And then, of mm-hmm. course, you know, just having Brad out there and Kuz out there, you know, you got guys for uh, knocking down open shots. There were times where they did double him when he had really good game, good game. So, and, and also if he wasn't able to get an assist, he was able to pass it to the next man and then they would just reverse the ball, just ball movement. So he's good at that. Um, I, I think he's a solid passer. That's not his calling card, but you know, he's not going to hurt you and turn the ball over. Um, he's not really a heist. There's times where I feel like he needs the ball more, but um, he's, he's definitely able to find open shooters for sure. When guys try to trap him and move the defense toward him, he can definitely find open shooters. So if he did go to the Knicks, I could see him, you know, finding like guys like Quentin Grimes for open shots and uh, some of the shooters that you guys got on your roster for sure. So I, I do think he's a talented passer. Um, he's not going to wow you with any fancy passes, but mm. he, he definitely makes uh, the right decisions with the ball. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a step forward for him. And I think this, this is something Ed, you were, you were hinting at a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of curious about, obviously um, it wasn't, necessarily the whole season or even the majority of the season that you guys had your big three together with him, Kyle Kuzma, Bradley Beal. Um, but to the point of him getting lost in the second half at time, I think that would be my interest and also my concern on the Knicks where you would be having this team, right? Where Jalen Brunson is the clear cut, no doubt about it. Alpha dog Julius Randall has every right to say, assuming you keep those two together. Hey, I've made all NBA two of the last three seasons. Um, I'm the number two guy here. And I guess I KP would have an incredible amount of value in that the Knicks for years now have been looking for a big that can stretch the floor on one end and protect the rim on the other, right? Not, not a lot of guys in the whole NBA who can do that. It's Jaron Jackson. It's Anthony Davis. Every once in a while, it's Brooke Lopez and, and Joel Embiid. And then Nikola Jokic kind of, and the list gets really, really short, really, really quickly. And that's what makes him a unicorn. That's what makes him in my mind, despite all the history there and, and the injury risk, potentially a perfect fit in New York and with how paint heavy their offense is. Will he get lost in the background a little bit with all those guys? And then like, assuming they don't deal him, you mix in an Emmanuel quickly. You mix in a Quinn Grimes, who's a burgeon game. You mix in an RJ Barrett who says, Hey, I'm coming off a of playoffs where I average 20 points per game pretty efficiently. Brandon, what do you think that would look like? And is there a world where KP gets a little bit lost or, or do you think he could slot in just right? And, and, and he would be content taking on kind of a tertiary role. Well, I think what the difference between the Knicks and the, and the Wizards is that, you know, the, the reason why Brunson was able to come in and really see he was successful right on is because everybody knew the role. You know, yep. the Wizards didn't, nobody really knew the role. You know, it was, you know, at point guard, you had Monte Morris where, you know, at best we needed to push the pace where he kind of slowed it down. You know, he really didn't have the ability to drive the lane and really collapse the defense and utilize outside shooters. And sometimes we found it, especially in crunch time, Riley Bills bring the ball up where, you know, a lot of uh, turnovers in crunch time hurt us. Um, so we didn't really solidify roles. You know, it was kind of <laughs> the, the the rotations were kind of put together. And, and, and that really goes on West instead of the coach. Um, so I think that New York, the really properly utilized KP, he's got in those role. You know, he's got in those role. And, and again, 
you know, imagine this. If he knew his role in D.C., how successful could this team have been? Because, again, he played in all-star level. I mean, he was healthy and he was doing his thing. But I think that, you know, just like Ed said earlier, you know, there was times where, you know, he was lighting it up in the first half and then the second half he was an afterthought. And that just comes down to the fact that not a lot of plays were run for KP or Kuz. It's more, you know, plays were being run for Bradley Bill. Obviously, it's time he was our franchise player. So, again, um, I think just solidifying roles. He, he could be very successful in New York. I, I, and I'm with you. I think he would be a great move because I think he can really complement Julius Randle in, in that front court. But that's the biggest thing to me is just solidifying roles. Everybody knows their job and focuses on their job. Yeah, what do you think about that, Ed? All right, guys, we'll be back one final time to wrap up this conversation on KP. And then I, I just wanted to get a gauge from the guys if they think the Knicks will get the draft pick the Wizards owe them over the next three seasons. Um, but first, groceries, school shopping, and get a, a little something for yourself. You know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? You can earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. A typical basket of groceries was over $50 more expensive at the end of 2022 than the beginning of the year due to inflation. You can earn two and a half times that in cash back from Ibotta or even more depending on how much you use Ibotta. The average Ibotta user earns $120 a year in real cash back. That could cover an entire shopping trip. Ibotta gives you real cash back, not points. Other apps gives you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. Yeah, I, I think I, I do think coaching was a part of it. They just made I don't know why they didn't make a point to get him the ball in the post at all uh he would come out hot knocking down threes in the first quarter in the second quarter basically on the first half uh but yeah you would have to make it a point for him to get touches and get the basketball now i do think some of it was some of the physicality i think some teams tried to be a little bit more physical with him in the second half um and i think julius randall would be a guy where he could help him out with that just kind of like some of the banging in the post and just freeing up Porzingis to kind of be around that three-point line kind of around the mid-range uh so Porzingis can really uh, flourish from that from that part of the court. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think you really have to really focus on getting him the ball, and you really have to focus your offense on getting, getting him the ball. But Randall, you know, kind of take a step back where it's like, hey, we got to get Porzingis the ball. We got to get him touches. With Jalen Brunson, take a step back and be like, hey, we got to get the big man a touch. We got to get him going. So that's a part of it, too, because, of course, they wanted everybody to eat. They wanted Bradley Bill to get his shots up and get his plays in. They wanted Kuz to get his numbers, too. So it was kind of like the offense was kind of like that at times where Kuz was definitely getting his shots. There's a lot of sh shots where, I mean, there's 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 a shot that Kuzma doesn't like to take, uh, just to put it that way. And I love Kuz. Um, same, same, same thing with Brad. Brad's a willing pa passer as well. Uh, but will, will those guys take a step back to feed Porzingis? Will um, Tom Thibodeau make it a point to get, to get Porzingis the ball? Because if you don't, then he kind of will get – wouldn't say pushed out the way because of his Cali, but it, it, he'll kind of, he'll just kind of fall by the wayside and just get a little lost in the soul sometimes when you're not focusing the offense on Chris Porzingis. Yeah. I, I think ultimately if the Knicks traded for him, it might be wise to have another consolidation trade somewhere else, whether that's trying to turn Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett into like a Paul George type of guy. I don't know, but I, I, I do think there's a world there where, where the Knicks would, would need to do that because if not KP, you, you, you might not be getting your money's worth if he's not, utilized properly offensively.
But the other key there would be defensively, where I, I think there was a case to be made that Mitchell Robinson, same caveat as KP, win healthy. One of the better defensive bigs in the NBA. In the playoffs, the Knicks were, were the single best defense. That certainly had to do with their competition a little bit. But I think Mitchell Robinson, particularly in that Cavs series, you could argue he was the most impactful guy because of what he did as an offensive rebounder and what he did as a rim protector on the other end of the floor. That was an area for most of his career. There were, there were no questions about Chris Stapps Porzingis, right? I think he either led the NBA or was second in the NBA in blocks his first few years. You look at his block percentage, that's always high. Uh, it was, was pretty good in terms of stealing the ball as well. Those numbers went down a little bit this year. Brandon, what, what do you see from him on that end of the floor? And do you see him as a guy who's lost a little bit athletically on that end and, and just has to kind of rely on his size and positioning? And, and, and how would you kind of rate him in the scope of the league as, as, as a defensive rim-protecting center? Oh, good question, man. Um, he could definitely – he's definitely up there with your defenders as far as defending the paint. Just, uh, you, you touch base. You know, what, what's the difference? And I think he's not that – it's not that he's not athletic. It's that, you know, like, again, with his size, with him being too athletic, it kind of opens him up for injury. So he's listening to his body. He's using more of his footwork. You know, if you look at his footwork this year, his, his footwork is money. And that's why he was able to utilize his size in the paint because he was able to utilize his footwork. So he's just, he's more of a savvy vet at this point. You know, he's not trying to, you know, be more athletic than he's using his basketball IQ. And that's, I think that's the big difference with KP now is that he is a savvy vet. You know, he really utilizes his size down in the paint and not really trying to power anybody. Cause you know, look, there's times where, you know, when he goes against the Bam Adebayos and these bigger centers, you know, he found it hard to kind of muscle him. So that's, so in, in years past, he kind of disappeared instead of doing that, he utilized the size, which is instead of trying to back him down and, and trying to out muscle him, Use those turnaround jumpers. You know, he was he used that basketball IQ. So I think that even if he finds himself going against those bigger bigs where he's clearly being outmuscled, that his ability to stretch the floor and go out of it and backing up and hit those J's, I think he's going to be good in the long run. But defensively, um, he's, he's still a rim protector. I mean, like I said, he can be outmuscled, but I have no I have no problem with him being the rim protector because he, I mean his he utilizes his size and he did, he did a great this year but yeah you know, I, I wouldn't look too much into his stats going down because I think that he's really underrated on the defensive end in my opinion. Hmm. Ed would would the Wizards mostly just use him as like kind of a pure drop big? Were there any situations like where he'd be forced into switching onto guards and like how does he hold up in those spots? Because the Knicks. We're, we're pretty conservative with how they use Mitchell Robinson. And honestly, it really reminds me of KP, where, where Mitch was this athletic marveler in his career. You could throw him out of James Harden. He was, he, was, he was somehow getting to that step back three, even though Harden was like traveling like five, six feet back on it. Um, and, and Mitch declined a little bit in that respect. And the Knicks switched up their defense, were very comfortable um, just dropping him back. And I think that's how they would use KP too. But is, is there any scheme versatility there? Or do you think at this point in his career, like, all right, he's a guy we're going to have sink back towards the rim. He's going to have his arms high. They're going to be big, and, and he's going to be able to make an impact that way. Um, I think they, they, they use him as a draw big. We actually had two bigs out there. We would have Gafford and Porzingis. Hmm. Um, so Gafford – I mean, um, Porzingis, uh, there were some situations where he did have to go out there and guard some guards. He did, a, he did an okay job of that. Um, there were times – it was some type of jump that Porzingis would do. I can't remember the jump, what it's called. Um, but he, he was just jumping oh, in the, the air. Oh, it's the Luke Cornette. Jump. Yeah, there you go. The cornet <laughs> jump, eclipse, like the that. eclipse. I think is yeah, what it yeah, was something like that. So he would just do that to really get out there and disrupt shooters. And it actually did work from time to time. Um, but as far as 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 far as guarding guards, of course, you don't want them out there. If if if, it's, if say if it was the Wizards versus Knicks, 
Um, and he's out there. He has to, he gets switched on Jalen Brunson. That's not a favorable matchup at all. Um, but I thought he did a good job. And there were some games where we've talked about physicality a couple times already uh, today. And Anthony Davis had 55 points against Gafford and Porzingis, where he just dominated both of those guys. They're just both thin frame guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Valanchunas, Jonas Valanchunas, every time he played against us, he had a double double. There were there's so many games. Uh, Vucevic. Uh, he got it. He took advantage of the Wizards front court because they're, they're just they're just a th- they're thin frame guys. Mitchell Robinson is a thin frame guy, but you do have Julius at least uh, for some phys- physicality here and there. And Mitchell Robinson, he doesn't get pushed around much either. He did a pretty he, good job against uh, Evan up a lot. That, yeah, was, that was the difference where like it mm-hmm. seems like with KP that just never fully happened. And Mitch mm-hmm. like turned himself and it's like that used to be like we'd play Embiid and it would be all right 40 in the first half. And now right. not that he's locking guys like that down, but he can compete And KP. I don't know if he ever quite got there. Right, yeah, Evan Mo. I, I saw that you guys did a good job against Evan Mo and Jared Allen, kind of shutting those guys down. Um, so there are going to be some nights where he goes against some bigs, and 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 defensively he will struggle because we we, we got dominated a couple of times by some opposing bigs for sure. Yeah, and I think that would be if, if as as a Knicks fan, that would that would be my biggest concern. I assume that would be Leon Rose's biggest concern. Are uh, you have Julius Randle, but in certain mat, like you you get the Sixers in the first round. Is that is that just the series with with Embiid just bowling over those two guys? game after game after game. And of course, even with Mitchell Robinson, that's a concern. So maybe, maybe the offense would mitigate it for the Knicks, but let, let, let's finish on uh, the draft pick. Um, because that is that, that, that's what got me waking up sweating in the middle of the night being like, Oh man, are we, are we, are we never going to get that pick? Is it just going to turn into two seconds? So we, we can, we can go over the protections uh, real quick on it. Um, obviously the Knicks did not get it uh, this year. It is top 12 protected in 2024. Top 10 protected in 2025 and top eight protected in 2026. So I know you guys said the, the intention in Washington, presumably, is not to have an extended Sixer style rebuild. I assume it's to accumulate some picks, hopefully nail those picks the next two years. And presumably by 2026, you guys do not want to be picking in the top eight in the draft. But in Washington, and I promise this isn't a shot because the same things would happen in New York. Uh, we're, we're kind of built to let our fans down, right? For the Wizards, it's 50 years since the conference finals for the Knicks. We had a little bit of a run in the 90s. It has not been good for a long time in other plays. Um, but Brandon, I, I think presumably you guys are, are happy that the Wizards are finally fully committing going down this road. I, I guess what I'm getting at is how long do they want to go down this road? Ooh, that's a good question because it really, I think the biggest thing and why we're disappointed with what we got from the Bradley Bill trade is you want to hit, you want to get assets off of these guys that you're not going to retain. Yep. So Bradley Bill was that guy where if, if it was anybody that you wanted to get assets from, it was Bradley Bill. And it's just disappointing. Now, I do think we could get a first rounder from KP if we decide to move on from KP. And, you know, if we do a sign and trade for Kuz, we should, you know, I think that you could net a first round pick for Kuz, depending on the situation. But, I mean, it just depends. I mean, I I, I have optimism because this front office, I mean, if, if we were still under, Tommy Shepard, I'd be very worried because <laughs> we could be in for like a 10 plus year rebuild. But this front office knows how to evaluate young talent. They, you know, coming from OKC, they know how they accumulate assets. I mean, it's just all the right things have been done in this front office. So realistically, if we're able to, within these next two to three drafts, get guys who can come in and develop as a core and build up from there, you could be looking at maybe contention in five years. I'm, I'm, best case scenario but it really depends on hitting on these draft picks because again that has been something we have had the inability to do forever in dc you know we the the yon besley's the, the chris singletons i mean we've had so many drafts where you we i mean think about this we were in a position to get clay thompson at one point 
Stephen Curry at one point. You know, and you look at the um the year we got Denny Avia, we had the chance to get Tyrese Halliburton. So we have to find these diamonds in the rough to accelerate a rebuild. And that's the biggest thing. So I think with this front office, I think we're in good hands because, again, they know how to find those diamonds in the rough and they know how to find, find talent in the draft. So realistically, I'm thinking five years to contention. All right, Ed, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Uh, can, I, can I sleep easy at night? Will, will, will the New York Knicks eventually get this pick or will, will Washington be picking in the top 12 to top eight the next three seasons? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about it right now, and I think it. Pro- I think we probably will be <laughs> around that time you guys too. Are killing I think, me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it's going to convey for you guys. I yeah. don't think it will. Honestly, uh, I think we're still going to have it. But speaking of Chris Stapps too, I just it just popped in my head a light bulb. Mm-hmm. Just went on that. Reportedly, I don't know if you saw, but Chris Stapps and the eighth pick are possibly on the table for the third pick of the draft from the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, per Evan Massey. So that kind of drives up Chris Tapp's uh, trade value as well. So you guys definitely have to come to the table with a, a really good offer, um, you know, seeing that the Blazers are, are possibly willing to give up that third pick of the draft. All right. Well, my my, my heart rate's elevated. You guys have not succeeded <laughs> in, in calming me down, but uh, this was a fantastic podcast all the same. Uh, before, before I let you guys uh, go, can you tell everyone uh, where they can find Locked on Wizards and, and all your work? Yes, sir. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, we just put up the Bradley Bill trade to Suns. I traded to the Suns video. That video right now has about 9,000 views. So you can definitely find us on Locked on Wizards on YouTube, wherever you guys get a podcast. If you type in Locked on Wizards on YouTube, you'll, you'll definitely find us. So uh, thank you for having us on. All right. Yeah. Every, everyone listening can tell two, two of the best hosts we have here at Locked on Brandon Scott, Ed Oliver. And man, the Wizards are the team to follow uh, from a Knicks perspective, from a league wide perspective right now. So interesting. Everything going on there. Check them out on all podcast platforms. Do the same with Locked on Knicks. And we will talk to you guys soon.